Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum. If it's your first time checking us out, we really appreciate you being here. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening and on Instagram at DC Local Leaders and come find me on LinkedIn. I don't want you to miss out on any of our Monday mindsets and new episodes with impactful examples of leadership and mindset. To make it easy, we're going to drop some links below. We want to continue to create value and share these messages of shifting our mindset, achieving our goals and being a mentor for others to do the same. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please remember to share it with a friend. It'll really help us spread the word. We're also actively seeking partnerships and sponsorships to continue our mission, sharing examples that we can accomplish anything that we work towards with the right mindset and the right mentorship. If you or your company would like to partner with us, please use the links below to connect. Today's episode is with Sid Husson, co-founder and CEO of MeSpoke. MeSpoke is a social engagement platform that recognizes and rewards individuals for brand loyalty. MeSpoke has been described as like Facebook ads on steroids from Forbes magazine and has won Washington Business Journal's Startup of the Week. Sid shares with us today that at their core, MeSpoke is an AI development firm, and they're hoping that that technology that they now have a patent for is going to help change the way that people shop and revolutionize the retail industry going forward. Sid shares with us how he actually considers himself to be an accidental entrepreneur. He wasn't actually looking to do this. He was satisfied in his work. He was doing something and doing well at it, raising a family. Things were going well, and he just so happened to live next door to an NFL player. And after learning how that NFL player was a brand ambassador for Nike, just by his connection with the NFL, the light bulb went off and now we have MeSpoke. Now there was a lot of ups and downs and things that happened in between there and he gives us that story of how he learned some of the lessons that he's had to learn and he does share with us his jumping off point that he may not actually be here in the position that he's in now had that event not happened Whereas at the time, it felt horrible and he wished that it didn't happen. It turns out that was the greatest blessing he could have had. So great story coming up. And I really appreciate everyone being here. Please remember to subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. Come find us on Instagram at DC Local Leaders. This episode is also on video and it's up on our YouTube page. Also at DC Local Leaders, we're going to continue to bring more value and add more video content for you there. And please come find me on LinkedIn. I want to get to know each and every one of you as we build this community. And I'd love to connect with you there. So let's get into the episode. Yeah, well, Sid Hassan, thank you so much for joining us today at the DC Local Leaders Podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, I appreciate you making the trip. You were actually in town because you spoke at Accelerate 220. I was on a judging panel last night at George Mason in Arlington, yes. Yeah, how'd that go? Oh, it's lovely. Uh, I, was, I was telling a few friends that, God, if I had the entrepreneurial bug at 19 or 20, the world would be a lot different for me. So I'm very proud of the, you know, the, the, the youth and what they're coming up with. So yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's Accelerate 2022, not yes. 2020. That's yes. right. Yeah. Did you, and so when you were getting started, I want to talk a lot about me spoke and your, your journey through leadership and all the lessons you've learned, but did you do anything like that? Was it almost sort of like reminiscent of your days of pitching and 
getting out there and meeting people? Yeah, it was a similar journey, uh, Philip, in the sense that uh, when I left the corporate world, I had kind of uh, achieved a certain position where I was afforded to be on some boards. So it was a natural segue. I was on the board of University of Tampa mm-hmm. and one of the kind of curriculums that I chose to, you know, be passionate about was their entrepreneurship school. So it was a great segue because I'd started, you know, working with kids and helping them come up with their ideas and go through the, uh, the journey. So yeah. it was a great, it was a great uh, kind of stepping stone into, uh, uh, me spoke. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So sure. are you, were you from Tampa? Are you from this area? No, uh, very, um, kind of typical, atypical story. Uh, son of two immigrants for originally from Hyderabad, India yeah. started, uh, kindergarten in Reston high school in Chantilly, went to George Mason, uh, undergrad and, uh, um, spent some time in Silicon Valley, um, worked for a, a firm literally up the street, up Greensboro drive from here. Uh, the, uh, very honorable Mafu Zamud enabled me to go to Silicon Valley. And that was one of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life. Yeah. How old were you when you went? Uh, I went to Silicon Valley effectively almost 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago. So I was, uh, uh, 34. So you were 34 when you went to Silicon Valley and that's 10 years ago. Yeah. What, uh, so that's 2011. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to get an idea of what was yeah. going on in Silicon. So it was in full swing with <clears throat> software. And I mean, you know, I, I don't think YouTube was quite what it is now at that time. Right. But definitely Google was around. I mean, you know, absolutely. Was, yeah. Yeah. The, the big boys were in play and a lot of what the what the uh, very uh, uh, senior folks in the Valley had kind of predicted what happened in the future kind of was taking shape that cannibalization of the market where there would be a few left, uh, sorry, very large companies that kind of ran tech and that kind of happened. Google, you know, your Facebook, your salesforce.com, um, and a few others were kind of cannibalizing the market and, you know, being the premier entities to kind of, you had to fit into one of those ecosystems to provide your customers with solutions. What'd you major in in college? Uh, business and communications. Yeah, so it wasn't a technology. No, 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 no. Did at you all. know that you were going to end up in technology? Was that a thing in the house of growing up? You know, with your parents, were they tech people? Were you talking about tech? Did you overhear any kind of conversations uh, like no, that? No, my parents were very hardworking folks that uh, ultimately uh, retired uh, as uh, real estate folks, and uh, so we had my mother had a uh, brokerage. And uh, the only exposure I had to tech was uh, uh, through an internship at a very young age. And then my brother was a telecom uh, SME here on on Greensboro Drive at good old MCI. Yeah. So my brother was probably the guiding light towards the pathway in, you know, technology and telecom. Older? Older brothers? Yes, yes. How many brothers uh, and sisters do you have? I'm the youngest of four. So I've got a brother who's uh, a telecom person, then two sisters, one sister in Dubai, one who still lives in the area. Yeah. And like growing up where, where, like, what was it like growing up with your brothers and sisters? Were they, were you guys close? Were, were you always in trouble? Were you kind of like a, you know, as entrepreneurs, sometimes a lot of times they go against the grain, even from the, the start. Were right. you a rule follower or were you a rule breaker? Um, I'd say, you know, tried to fit in as much as possible, you know, yeah. coming from a very strong South Indian family. Yeah. The youngest is a, is a bit more coddled and spoiled. So I benefited from being a mama's boy. Yeah. But it's also given me some really good uh, nature versus nurture qualities that I think are important yeah. as a leader or people that are out um, motivating others. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved uh, the 80s, uh, Philip. You know, I grew up in Fairfax City. I delivered the paper as a kid, the yeah. Fairfax Connection. I delivered the Washington Post as a kid. So uh, it was a, it was a you know, incredible 
portion of my life that yeah. I hold on to very near and dear to my heart still. Did you play sports when you were younger? I did. Uh, very active. Every every season there was either soccer, football, or basketball. So yeah. that was a very important part of my youth. Yeah, team sports is a big Absolutely. part of it. Did you Absolutely. do that in college too, or is that something? That I wish. Uh, yeah. I still think I'm going to the NBA, but... I mean, you're, my, what are you, uh, six-something? Six yeah, six-two. My, 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 my parents, I think, said, uh, listen, that's not going to work out, but you've, yeah. got, you've got half a brain, so you stick with that. <laughs> were they tough on you about grades, and was that always a... Uh, very much even so. Even though you were the youngest, it's like, look... Yeah, very much so. Uh, academics, as I'm sure you're well aware, is a uh, uh, cornerstone of uh, our upbringing as, uh, you know, uh, this generation of folks that have come to the U.S. Yeah. to make it better for everyone else. Right. It's Absolutely. It's yeah. All right. Well, let's. so you were talking about how you, so bespoke <clears throat> is what you're doing now after you left the corporate yeah. uh, environment. What were you doing in that corporate environment? You're in Silicon Valley. Talk to us about how you kind of rose through the ranks and what that looked like for you and what you were kind of, what you were learning along the way, who you met, you know, things that can be replicated. Absolutely. Mentors. Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I benefited from having parents that knew other folks that were in, you know, influential positions in technology early on. So again, back to Jones, Greensboro drive, I, uh, interned on the other end of Greensboro drive for a company called, uh, TMRI. It was eventually sold to one of the larger Gov- GovCons. And uh, Dr. Khan gave me an internship saying, you should learn how to do quality assurance for software. I mean, this is circa you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. So uh, I've benefited from that. So started off as a consultant, Philip, and just worked my way up, finished school. And um, were you a 1099 at that point? Like, were you? No, I was a, it was a W2 working okay. uh, my way up. And but you were learning the consulting business of how they were like earning those contracts and how to execute on them. You were kind yeah. of getting that frame of reference. Uh, absolutely. I um, kind of just worked my uh, way up and ended up one of my last consulting assignments was a Sarbanes-Oxley Act of Congress. So it was supposed to be a 90 day assignment. We ended up being there 60 months and I was the last man standing on that project that essentially stood up the, what is now the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board um, on in D.C. So I left that, and I think a few folks there uh, I still hold in very high regard. Ray Schmidt and Troy Jones um, said to me, you know, listen, you, you've, you've got some other skills that some of us don't have. Move to the business side. So, again, back to Greensboro Drive. I, th- I believe this street has paved the way for a yeah. lot of us. And, and early on, it was... You know, from the mall to Tyco, I think down here. Oh yeah, Tyson's is completely different. Yeah, yeah. Than even ten years ago. Yeah, so I mean, if you were you know on your way up as a consultant, you probably worked for a company that was headquartered on Greensboro, between Booz Allen, SAIC, uh, Khaki, or or Digital Intelligence Systems. So I took a chance and had a relationship with someone named Mafuz Ahmed, who is the founder of uh, a billion dollar company just down the street here called Dysis. And uh, he said, listen, it is very different to go from consulting to delivering uh, projects to selling them. And I said, no, it can't be that hard. I'll try it. So he gave me a chance, nearly lost my job because it is a lot more difficult to uh, be the butt in the seat, if you will, versus selling the project and the six to nine month pursuit that it takes Mm -hmm. to getting it. So uh, whether that storm landed some... uh, pretty sizable deals. I think if you were to ask uh, Mafuz, uh, he would tell you that we landed our first uh, multi, multi-year multi uh, MSA with uh, USPS. So we unseated Lockheed Martin. 
But initially when I took him the, the idea that we could do it, he said, listen, we're a small, you know, staffing company at the time, you know, maybe doing 75 million. He says, well, yeah, there's no way we're going to win this. I said, listen, we've got a relationship and I won't give up till we get there. I need you to support me. We landed that and I uh, just kept working my way up and closed more deals and then eventually um, started to run a company in the inner region. Yeah. So you were, you were building uh, sales techniques along the way or, or like that seemed to be something that you had a tendency to go towards. And, and, and at least that's what I'm picking up. It wasn't necessarily the, the technological s- skills behind it. It was more the sales technique and understanding people and those soft skills. Were you doing any outside coaching, outside mentorship, outside things to kind of build that skill set along this time? No, very insightful of you. I, I, I say this often every time someone brings up an accolade around me spoke or our, our patents, I tell them, listen, I am only the st- uh, smartest man in a room if I'm alone. But I think what I've benefited from, and perhaps because of my mother and my, my sister, who is uh, one of the most um, influential people in my life, um, is that I, I, I think I, I, I benefit from a very strong EQ. So there's IQ and EQ. My IQ is as average as they come. But when you blend an average IQ with a very strong EQ, I think that's where magic happens. Yeah. The ability to understand and perhaps, you know, if you weave in serendipity and alchemy, which I live by, if you weave those in and then have this human touch and human aspect, I think that goes a very long way. Yeah. So I, I, in a nutshell, I think I, by the grace of God, I think I benefit from a very strong EQ. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. I mean, I, maybe because EQ is pretty much all I'm working with, right? <laughs> you know, this is my only skill set. This Look, is what a 50, I do. There's 50 chance that one of us is smarter than the other. Yeah, I mean, there's two of us in the I room. I don't know. I'm <laughs> mediocre at, at best at math, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, but um, this is what I do well. And, but I think you're, you're right that business is done with people that we know, like, and trust. And you get to know, like, and trust people through the soft skills that happens and the technical skills. There are people that are very good at that. I don't want to take anything away from those folks because they have the diligence to be good at those things that I don't have. Right. Um, I'd, I'd rather be doing this than doing that where they're the other way around and we need each other. But um, you know, when we can, when we can just kind of sit and talk with people, we're able to make things happen that wouldn't have otherwise happened if we were just trading uh, technical information, right? We, yeah. we miss a lot. That's why text and and even even to an extent, Zoom is never as good as being in front of someone to feel that energy, to talk to them, to yeah. to know to watch their facial expressions in real life and see that they're understanding what you're saying or that they enjoy being around your energy. And that I think that takes us really far. Do you think that's a learnable skill? If you don't have it, I don't want someone listening to say well, I'm a great coder, but I really want to be where Sid is. And, and, and yeah. what do I do now? You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not the easiest thing to answer, but you've brought up something that's very near and dear to my heart. I was always a functional person when I was a billable, you know, uh, consultant on yeah. behalf of, I've only had a few bosses in my life. So on the behalf of a few companies, I was always a functional person. And that skill perhaps may is a segue from the EQ characteristic that I believe is very near and dear to me is that the functional role on any billable or deliverable tech uh, project, Philip, be it a business intelligence, be it software development, be it mobile dev or cybersecurity, the ability to be the liaison between business and tech is a invaluable asset because business folks 
and tech folks often don't speak the same language. So what happens is when you have someone that has enough of the functional understanding of perhaps the database versus the stakeholder saying, I want a system that allows us to have single sign-on, just hypothetically. Well, that requirement that's on the back of a napkin, if you will, doesn't just become technology. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to be orchestrated in the middle. So that EQ and that functional aspect is something that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, um, you know, I, I think back to my days of Troy Jones at uh, in Sterling before uh, the uh, Sarbanes-Oxley Act of Congress had its beautiful offices downtown and, and in Sterling now, where Troy would call these Chinese fire drills. And I was always picked to attend these, and Troy was a direct report to Ray Schmidt. And he and I would always say he had become a very near a person, very near and dear to my heart, still to this day. And I said, you know, why is it that you asked me to come? He's like, Sid, you have this functional brain that we need to be a part yeah. of the technical brains. Yeah. So he said, that's why you're here. So yeah. thank you for bringing that out. That means a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, and that's you said a lot of. You explained with what you just said, like the reason why I love interviewing the CTOs. There's a lot of CTOs that say the T stands for translate. Yeah. And that's what they do well most said. of the time. Well said. Right. And and they've all said that same exact phrase in a different way, sort of. Right. Yeah. But that they, they just understand that. And that ability to do that fascinates me. Yeah. Right. To be the bridge in the road between those two very what seems like very different disciplines. Right. Very right. different skill sets. Um, but so me spoke, so you decided to, how, what was that process like leading up to deciding to leave a corporate structure that has safety and security, probably consistent income? Cause I'm, you're married, you've got kids, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, you have a, a life and a family. Where did all that start to happen, uh, in the journey leading up to me spoke? And then I want to get into me spoke and how to do something like that and what that feels like and what you're learning as far as mindset with that. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. And and I, I'm not going to use a cliche, but it's very important that I think we get the message across for the next generation that you just like the term influence. I strongly dislike the word influence like that is not a proper career path for any youngster. The same could be said with entrepreneurship. I believe the pathway to entrepreneurship is accidental and it truly is where innovation meets. Right. There is a difference There's a fundamental difference between innovation and invention. So perhaps you are and I'm going somewhere with this, yeah, yeah. which me spoke is, you know, you're going about your day and you're getting a coffee and you see the barista make a coffee and you think, my God, the way he's done this using the devices and the processes and the orchestration in between. There's some innovation here. We could streamline this. And that's where innovation occurs. I, it's uh, I'm no I'm no uh, exception. I accidentally stumbled upon an idea that I couldn't get out of my mind for many, many years until I did something about it. What did that feel like? To, to, what, what were you doing about the idea? Were you journaling? Were you writing stuff down? Like you had this idea and you're still working at this point and you're in a, in a position of high responsibility. Where were you and what were you doing at the time? I was in Silicon Valley and uh, in the East Bay. And I benefited from living in a building where all the athletes lived, Philip. Yeah. And Mespoke is loosely inspired by my next door neighbor who played for the 49ers. Who? Dimitri Kevin's number 92. He played with Champ Billy yeah. at Georgia and with the Redskins. Yeah. Lineman. Uh, defensive end. 
and uh, Dimitri was at my house one day and I'll never forget it. And I said to him, you know, it looks like you've got, you know, Nike Jordans on that were literally just laced up before you walked in. And there's some irony here. And he said to me, he said, you know, I've got a contract. And I said to him, you don't even play. I'm your fourth string. You need first string, second string. Heck, you, you need me to get hurt before you get the call. Yeah. He was 10th year in. And what I learned from our friendship, and then I had moved on, I moved back to D.C., is that he benefited from two things. He had the rail, Drew Mag- uh, Jerry Maguire, a.k.a. Jerry Mag- uh, Drew Rosenhaus, at his agent, as his agent, and he played the game for 10 years. That if you have Drew or Jerry Maguire as your agent, you get these incredible contracts, and nearly every single one of the people on the 52-man roster, I think it's 52 or 53 right now, has a contract with Nike. Mm. that you have to wear Nike on the field and they push you to wear it before and after because you're a walking billboard. So fast forward from 2012 to 20, go ahead. So the players have a choice as to what cleats they wear when they're on the- They do not have a choice in the NFL. In the NBA, they do. Nike owns the monopoly on what you wear during the games. Okay. So, but if I wanted to wear Reebok and I was in, in, in the NBA- in the NBA, you can because it's a it's a one off contract. But it, Nike has a contract for the National Football. So league. no matter what you like wearing, you're wearing Nikes no matter what. Yeah. And that is with the NFL, and the players also benefit from that. Yes. So you could epitomize this by saying, if you go back to the Dream Team winning the gold medal for the for basketball, yeah, Michael Jordan draped oh, the right. flag over his shoulder to hide the insignia or the swoosh because oh. of the because of the stipulations. So there's a reason why that was done. He was the only person hiding that. I don't think I, yeah. yeah. So anyhow, to, to finish that kind of accidental kind of uh, discovery, years later, it occurred to me that there was something there around this business model that Dimitri, despite the fact of being literally the last man on the roster, still had a $25,000 contract from Nike. For merchandise. All he had to do in return was wear Nike before, during, and after the game. So I then, there was a, that light bulb moment that happens, and this cannot be taught. The light bulb, there is no there is no set pathway where this light bulb is due to go off. It just, it's accidental. But do you think, do you think that, that, that being, being inquisitive or being open to looking for these ideas is muscle memory? Like, like if you, if you try to just think up a business plan or an idea every day, are you more likely to start looking for those things in your daily life? Or do you think it's a natural innate ability that you kind of just have or don't have? So now you've brought up something that's very near and dear to my heart. I am forever what Carl Sagan said, a wonder junkie. And I, and my son is as well. I thought two things would happen in my life as an adult. I would either be on jeopardy or I would be in the NBA. Neither happened, but I believe my son has a shot at both of them. You brought up something that I think is fundamentally important to entrepreneurship. The ability to see things differently, question things, break things down, put them back together and say, this is just wrong. But curiosity or the ability to be a wonder junkie, as Carl Sagan said, I believe is perhaps the top, I don't know, top two or three skills for an entrepreneur. But do you think you, you can... Or Simon Sinek says, the why. Right. What is your why? The purpose. It is so fundamentally important to entrepreneurship. But see, but the why is like synonymous with passion too, right? But I guess, but do you think it can be learned? Is that something that, 
you can you can build upon, right? Or yeah. do you just kind of there's people that are that way. Not not right and there's no good or right good right or wrong answer. I just you know, we 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 have an investor in New York and this man has become very near and dear to my heart also. I say that term often because I'm as sentimental, yeah, emotional, it's just who I am. I'm I'm a giver and a pleaser. Um this man invested in me spoke without a contract after meeting me for five minutes without a contract. He wired us money and said, I'm in. So we went back to ask him and I said, you know, at the time I said, Mr. Laskow, now he's become like an elder brother. I said, you've wired me money. We don't even have a contract. And he said, Sid, two things I'm going to, you will learn, or I will show you along the way is that one, I have an antenna. Two, I don't think you're going anywhere with my money. And I think he also later on said, third, my wife would probably spend the money that I sent you, <laughs> which was sizable yeah. on our next vacation. So very, very successful man. Where I'm going with this is grit and perseverance. Those two things. I'm no scientist, but I believe that's something you're born with. Really? I don't know if every man is born equal. And I know this may offend some people, but I don't know if I believe in tabula rasa, a clean say when everyone's born. Because I believe genetically and from a DNA standpoint, we all are offspring of our, you know, yeah. the people that have come before us from a bloodline. And I think some of us are given some gifts that others do not have. From a mental standpoint, grit and perseverance, I don't know. I don't think can be taught to list, to finish out the story about yeah. Mr. Laskow, this man self-made car part salesman now in a massive way up and down Connecticut to New York tells me a story one day of his mother passing, which was a very sad moment in his life. He said he made all the arrangements, paid for everything, went to her funeral, was in the shop by like 6 a.m. Still at work on time. Those are qualities, Philip, that you cannot learn at George Mason or at Harvard or at MIT. It's just something you're it's it's a part of your DNA. I agree 100 percent. They don't teach that in school. Right. But I think those things, at least from even in my own experience, right, I wake up at 430 every morning. I didn't start off Amazing. wanting to do that and yeah. I never want to do it, but I do it anyway right. to build grit resiliency too. just because I'm tired is there's no reason to not do it. And I do this thing that I borrow from Mel Robbins. I don't know if you know Mel Robbins, but she's got something called the five second rule. Not the thing about the food, but she counts down five, four, three, two, one, and then she takes action to whatever she's doing. So I do that every morning. I take some deep breaths. Right. Like I, I wake up and five, four, three, two, one, and I get up. There's no turning back at that point. Right. right? And I take a cold shower every day. Never want to do oh, it. Like but Anthony Robbins says. Yeah. yeah. Tony Robbins. That's, that's Tony Robbins. That's sorry. Guy. Yeah. I mean, his name's Anthony, but that's Wim Hof. A lot of people talk about that. It, and this isn't about me, but like the point is that I'm, I'm purpose. I'm kind of like, I'm hoping what you're saying isn't true because I'm purposely taking actions to build resiliency, to build grit so that I have that muscle memory built in there that those synapses neurons that fire together wire together so that they get in there that like when you know building a platform like this building a company doing things you're going to hear the word no more than you hear the word yes you might only hear one or two yeses but those are the ones you needed but you heard a thousand no's to get there but those thousand weren't a reason to not keep going to 1001 because that's well you know that kind of thing but but if i'm not and, and as younger people we're not there's no subject in school yeah. for that. Sometimes that's why I asked you about uh, sports because you played sports and we get that in sports because you don't win all the time. 
you might not even start. And you know what, well, that other said. guy might be tall, taller than you, stronger than you and hit well, you said. and that kind of thing. But is that a reason to walk off the field? Probably not, because you'll never get that position if you do, mm-hmm. right? So the athletes, most people that I interview have some sort of discipline around them. And it's either music or sports. And even in sports, it's sometimes it's team sports. Sometimes it's uh, individual sports, running or swimming right. or something. Right. There seems to be something there that like the discipline, I think, so grit and resiliency starts with discipline, right? That's, that's how you get there. And I think discipline and maintaining a routine is something if it's not easy, you got to force yourself, right? But you can, not everyone will because people like comfort more than like discomfort. Well said, but I think maybe you could, I don't want to like push back too hard, but I feel like I'm hoping that cause I'm a guy, I don't know if I have grit or resiliency and like, yeah. what if I don't, that means I'm a, I'm barking up the wrong tree. I don't know. I, I, and I say this often to our, our attorney and our, our, our CEO, Karen Stoltz and Bob Ackman Jimmy at Pulsinelli. I, I tell them often that when I am asked, like, why didn't you do this earlier? Or why didn't you make that decision? Now I'm going to say something that may sound odd to you. I simply tell people, one, I will never be the smartest man in a room unless I'm alone. Two, the brain I have today is not the brain I had yesterday. Mm-hmm. goes back to being a wonder junkie. Mm-hmm. So when people say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I simply tell them, look, I'm going to tell you something that you'll have to think about six times to understand what I'm telling you. And that is simply this. I didn't know it then. Mm-hmm. I know it now. We don't know what we don't know. So I can't make decisions that I don't have answers for because mm-hmm. it's on the job learning. Well, you needed that experience with that neighbor who you couldn't have planned that you were going to live next to. I mean, you picked yes. that building, but you didn't pick it because you knew he was in there. No. Um, you couldn't have planned that experience and you couldn't have planned the idea you would have had by learning the information he, he shared with you. Yeah. So, so I totally get what you're saying, right. but, um, all right, but let's, so, but I want to dig back into that. Please. So you had this idea, right? It pop, the light bulb went off. You have this new investor now, but it was a few steps in between. Yeah. What, so what, the, what's going on? And I are you saying, married at this point? Yes. You're married. You have kids. <clears throat> I have a youngster and your love of my life is likely Three years old. Three years old. So you have a three. So that's, yeah, pretty young. Getting ready to start like either school or preschool or something, right? Is your wife working too? No. So your wife's not working and you just moved back to to the DC area. No, I was actually in Tampa on my last assignment for the digital intelligence systems. All right. And um, I was asked when I kept telling people there's this idea that I have this idea that I have. I mean, keep in mind, the world was a lot different in 2013. Than it is now. It's almost a yeah. decade ago. Almost. Yeah. And um, I benefited from getting an introduction to, uh, now I chuckle when I say it, but a man that's known as the tattooed MIT lawyer. So Brent Britton is our outside counsel. So he's got a sleeve of tattoos, but he's also a mad scientist genius that lectures at MIT. So I said, Brent, can I come in and I want to show you this idea? He said, by all means, that's what I do. I work with entrepreneurs. So I went in and whiteboarded and a week later, he said, Sid, come in, I want to chat with you. He said, what you're doing is interesting to me. I don't think it's being done and I urge you to do something about it. So I said to him, well, what the, what the hell do I do now? I mean, I had never started a company from scratch. I'd never written a B plan. I didn't have a lemonade stand as a kid. Um, he said, you need an executive summary. You need some co-founders and you need a B plan. And he said, I'll put all that in motion. And in fact, he said, 
I'd like to be along for this ride. So he came on as our outside counsel. So it was Brent Britton that validated, because it's, it's wonderful if your family does, your son, yeah. oh, dad, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Sure. But one of MIT trained IP attorney says, you're on to something. something, you do something about it. Then I said, look, I got some validation here. Let me, uh, let me do something about it. Did he give you templates or a place 100%. to start? So, so, so you were able to, to get that. Now, did you, did you ever have mentors around or people that you talk to and bounce ideas off of and to even get to this point? Like, of, of course, again, yeah. I didn't say it early on, but I believe if we could tell the youngsters that are in undergrad now or grad school, I believe something, the most invaluable thing they can take away apart from the degree is a mentor. Yeah. So I, in fact, I, I look after uh, at any given time, two to four kids Yeah. for the call for, you know, check in and make sure mm-hmm. they're on the right path. Do you find yourself learning from them also that as you help them and as they ask you questions, it's their questions that teach you lessons too? Oh, the world is cyclical, Philip. Yeah. I mean, there's no, and there's, there's, it's, it's, the world is one continuum that mm-hmm. just goes and, you know, everything that is old will become new again and every moment returns again in time. Yeah. yeah. Just how life is. All right. So me spoke, like what, what does me spoke do then? So you have this, you're on a, on a great track with this idea, you know, you've got a family to look after, but it sounds like things are happening at this point. What's, what's going through your mind and how do you make the decision to leave one and go to the other? What do you say to your wife? Like, Hey, I'm not a hundred percent sure this is going to work out, but I think it's going to be okay. Or like, what's that conversation like? I mean, I'm not sure who you're married to, but, uh, <laughs> it's a different conversation in, in the real world. It's very scary. I mean, mm. and, and, and look, I had rolled up my sleeves and gotten to a very, very comfortable position where no one had to worry. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you had savings. You had like, yeah, we had, yeah, yes, all of the above. But when you, when you tell someone you're going from X standard of living to no money coming in, right. but money only going out, yeah, that, that, that gap, you know, yeah. in accounting, that, that, their, their, their incomes, their, their lies a problem when you've got yeah. more, more debits than you do, credits than you yeah. have debits, sorry, I mean, debits all, and credits. And I'm sure you did the division and you figured how many months you had until it's like, all right, we Yeah, I, w- I was fortunate to have some key family members around that said, look, we'll, we'll go in on this. Yeah. If like, uh, it may be scary, but we'll go in on this. So okay. we had savings and then, um, some key family members that were along for the ride. Were you doing anything to place that fear or right size that fear, any journaling, any, like, what did you do with those feelings? I'm assuming. So, you know, the feeling of impending doom that will set in inevitably when you're doing anything new, right? Especially something entrepreneurial. It's a natural human tendency. It sets in. What did you do with all that fear? Like, the what ifs and, the, and that weasel that's in the brain that's just constantly like I, I like to live up catastrophes that have never happened yet and think up rebuttals for arguments that never occur. Well like, that's just something that happens. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum for me while I'm sentimental and emotional and I don't think I'm alpha, but I think if someone, when someone doesn't know me, but meets me may think I look and sound alpha, yeah. I am not. So, I don't like struggle. I don't like conflict and I don't like change. I know this sounds crazy to you, but I don't like my habits to change. I'm happy to think about the future being different than the present because that's just how it's going to be. But I just keep it all to myself and I've, I keep 
I guess you could call it a journal on my phone okay. where I'm constantly either waking up, literally waking up in the middle of the night saying, holy moly, um, we need to think about this or we need to do this. So I've got a, a running ledger, if you will, on my phone that and I keep. You type it? Yeah. So I, I just keep, take notes. I've got a, a notes folder. And does it give you a sense of relief that like, okay, you've like, what do you do with the list then? So, so it'll go on a list. Then if it's a priority, if it's enough of a priority, it'll go on my reminders. Okay. So I'll constantly have to look at it. Like this morning, I've got six. You're on my reminders for this morning. Be at Phillips office by X time. So it'll go from a fleeting idea to document it, to a reminder, to an action. Okay. That's just how my That's how you do crazy it. brain works. All right. Um, you mentioned a, a keyword habit. And we haven't really gotten to what me spoke is yet. So I definitely yeah, want to make sure we get there, I but I, the habits are going to be fun because I love learning. What, what are your daily, what's your, do you have a morning routine or do you have a daily routine or what are your habits to maintain what you're doing now, who you are now and how you show up now? But I'm assuming you had to be doing something back then too, to not go crazy. Yeah. So for us, it's a, it's a, it's a, an interesting one. Um, we have a kind of co-located development uh, uh, team. So our development teams have always been in Southeast Asia. So they're plus nine or plus 10 giving daylight saving time. So the first thing I have to do in the morning is make sure I go to, I go to WhatsApp and I make sure we have no issues because if you do the follow the sun, when I'm sleeping, they're waking right. up and there's either issues or no issues or okay. requests. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I do, because if I miss that window, Philip, where they're plus nine, I will miss them because they'll go to sleep be a whole nother and day. I'll miss a whole day. I'll have to follow the sun again. So the first thing I do is immediately check WhatsApp and then I'll check email just to make sure we have no issues. Our public cloud didn't go down or we didn't have an API that failed or, or, or a call to the database is okay. So that's the first thing I do. And I know it's probably not the best way to start the morning, but when you've got this kind of offshore development team, you've got to look into that. So my morning is a check down of digital stuff. And then, um, I've got this, I've got this human being in my life who's eight years old, who is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. I literally feel like I have a debt to my son. And, um, so then it's, you know, breakfast, chit chat with him and he's got his own shenanigans that we do. So my day is my more, first thing in the morning in bed what literally is, uh, these days, six fifteen to six forty a.m. So it's it's so then it's what three in the afternoon there. Yeah. So plus nine. Yeah, yeah. Plus nine or ten, depending on where they are that day. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a digital check down. Make sure there's no fires. Answer questions, and then my little boy is uh, is up to his shenanigans, which I love. And then it's uh, he's off to school. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then your day begins. Do you yeah. follow any sort of like, are you still working out? Are you still doing sports? Are you still doing yeah. yoga, meditation? Yeah. Um, I um, just got back into working out. Yeah. So I'm very proud of uh, uh, my gym time. Yeah. So I take it around certain blocks where I know I don't have, where I've got, you know, 45 minutes to myself. Yeah. But so it's, it's a moving target or is it a, uh, typically an AM and depending on, you know, if I need to be video zoom in right. the afternoon, I'll switch to, to get to, to look presentable by the yeah. afternoon. Otherwise yeah. I'm audio. So a lot of our calls are audio based, but there are some that are video based as well. Okay. And did you start that when I mean, your son was a lot younger then, but did you start kind of having that system 
in place early on or is that like a new thing for you? Fairly new, yeah. you know, a couple of years now. What what made that change? Were, were, is the company growing and now you felt like you needed to have this new routine or what, what brought that about? Well, there, there are these kind of uh, peaks and valleys that we go through where we're developing and the team is much bigger than it is the core team. So right. at the core team, you know, I've got a, a phenomenal um, um, CEO, Karen Stoltz, who's local, Reston-based. And then we've got outside counsel and then we've got IP counsel. So the core team, the nuclear team, nuclear team is very small. Yeah. But when we're developing, which we just finished six months of developing now, it's a much larger team. Okay. So uh, the schedule changes, the habits change when we're developing versus right. business as usual. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah, it's cyclical based on the, the, the business. Right. So, so me spoke. What is me spoke? What do you guys do? Like you're, you're that neighbor of yours set you on this path and here you are. From an optic standpoint, people think we're a fashion company and a shopping company. Now that is the fundamental thing that we do. We disintermediate and democratize, uh, uh, influence. Anyone and everyone can upload a photo to our platform, use our AI, and we will allow them to create a shoppable link that's embedded in the content. Our patent essentially creates the pathway to kill the hashtag. Because we and two other gentlemen that are farther ahead of us, Matt Zeller in New York, who's been funded by Google, are on a path to kill the hashtag. It served its purpose for nearly three decades. The internet came out in 1989. Um, so a lot of the compute power, the, the inputs to algorithms are just no longer needed because AI, computer vision, machine learning can glean artifacts or metadata from content now. So let me say this in simple terms. Let's say hypothetically you uploaded a photo of your outfit, which is stunning, by the way, to me spoke. In a split second, we would read your whole photo and we would tell you, we know you're wearing a watch a blazer, a shirt, and trousers. And then if you had some historical data in our database, we would say, we know if you want to tag this, Philip, this blazer, that we know based on your patterns in the database for this category, because we know who you are, we know what category you're tagging, that you're likely wearing Brooks Brothers or uh, Gianluca Isaia, just hypothetically. With confidence, we can tell you that this is the brand. And if you say, yes, we will publish this inside of our content, inside of our app, your photo with a shoppable link inside your photo back to um, brooksbrothers.com. So now if you think about what Forbes has said about MeSpoke, MeSpoke is a company to watch in the world for creating Facebook ads on steroids. With one click, someone will go from your photo to brooksbrothers.com while our algorithm is giving you loyalty points. So, and is that, that's it's like sort of like I, I hear that almost like affiliate marketing in a way. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because it's a rev share model, right? Brooks yeah. brothers, likely they will, someone who buys the blazer that I'm wearing will know that they came from my picture at me spoke. And that's why they bought, that's why they bought that blazer because they saw me wearing it, thought it was cool, ordered their size, Brooks brothers benefits, Right. So am I, is it a, do I pay a service to you to be on your platform? No, no. This is where the democratization happens. We believe everyone's influential. Go back to the Demetrius Evans. He was, he might as well have been 16th string. Yeah. He was never going to get the call, but still had a sizable contract with Nike. The irony there is that 
if you and I were in Union Square in, in San Francisco and we saw a certain persona of a man, 6'5", 275 pounds, certain ethnicity, wearing the swoosh head to toe, we immediately would look over and look back and think, dot com or millionaire, celebrity, baller or football player. We would think something. Despite the fact that we couldn't ask the gentleman for his autograph by his name. You don't know his name, but you assume. So that's where the light bulbs well, came the uniform off. Off. Well, no, this is in Union Square in the afternoon, not on Sundays, not 16 Sundays out of the year. They wear their jerseys 16 Sundays out of the year. That's it. I'm talking about him in broad daylight yeah. on a on a Tuesday night. The yeah. light bulb there is that we are all influential. And Mr. Knight at, at Nike said, look at Michael Jordan. He said, the subliminal message will be done based on the persona. So now what we've done is filed a hashtag that says, sorry, filed a patent that says, let's embed the hashtag that you would put on Instagram on MeSpoke, make it a shoppable link, shoppable link. And when your community interacts with your content and goes shopping, sorry, forgive me, make you the influencer or the recipient of a reward. So consumer to consumer to business. Mm -hmm. So not business to business, not um, business to consumer, but a consumer that has inspired another consumer and we send a ticket to the brand. Mm -hmm. They're just getting an order entry ticket. Well, and you get some credit or what we call social capital. Right. And, and so, and so how does MeSpoke benefit that? So we are very much an IP play. So we raise enough capital to get our patents done to grow the community to enough of a base that flushed out our, our methodology and our business plan. What we have decided to do is just focus on IP and that's build algorithms, build artificial intelligence and file patents for the, for the machine learning to look at the picture and extract what type of, how is it doing that? It's, is it looking at stitching patterns and referencing other things to know, like these manufacturers generally do this? Like what's the, 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 in the old days we used to call it OCR optical character recognition. Now that's been revamped as computer vision. So essentially the algorithm uses, uh, data points that are at a Latin long or some resolution in the photo and says here, I believe I see a structure that looks like a sport coat. Or here I see a structure that looks like a woman's handbag. And then it comes back with confidence. It says, I'm 74% sure that this is a woman's handbag. The second part of the machine learning that you alluded to is done on pattern matching of the database. Because if you, this is something I'm very important to me, Philip, is that unless you're God, there's only one way to predict the future. And that is to understand the past. So based on your historical pattern matching, we then suggest this, we know who you are, we know what category you're tagging, and you, with high confidence, either tag Brooks Brothers for this category, Isaiah or Prada, yeah, yeah. and we suggest those to you. How you do the first one, though? Do I tell you what I normally wear? Is there? We a, need a bit of data to yeah. come up with some suggestions. I yeah. mean, it's just like if you and I now go to our phones, I guarantee you, you, if your phone is on and is listening, you will start seeing Isaiah and Prada advertisements in a vertical scroll on social media. Yeah. Does that scare you at all? No, it's it's the world we live in. I mean, it's a it's an opt out world, which is quickly changing to an opt in world. I know that's a mouthful, but it's a 
it's an opt-out world that is changing to an opt-in world. So if your Alexa at home right now doesn't have the mute or do not listen turned on or enabled, they hear everything. Well, that, and, yeah. and, that, and that leads us to Web 3.0 and what the future holds and why we believe MeSpoke's tagging enables a core function of 3.0, Web 3.0 that is literally around the corner. So, and this is a separate app that you download. Standalone is. community that is iPhone-based, Android-based, and now through a lot of hard work, we are browser-based. So okay. you don't have to download an app anymore. Okay, so you can go right on the internet. Mm-hmm. You can take pictures of yourself in your favorite app outfits mm-hmm. upload them to and video as well and It'll, video yeah and so what about haircuts and things like that is there any way to we try to stay very kind of like a skinny offering and perfect yeah. one category and that was by choice um apparel and beauty mm-hmm. it's a massive segment i mean think about your closet versus your garage garage You've got one car, but I guarantee you, you probably have tools and whatnot. 200 items in apparel, sorry, apparel, things you can apply, wear or hold. Mm-hmm. So we started with fashion. We stayed there. So our algorithms are focused on that. We do believe the opportunity next would be health and wellness products and com- uh, consumer product goods. So CPG as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, it sounds like there's endless possibilities with stuff like this, right? I mean, it- yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we hear this often and, and it's very encouraging to say that look the at at its at the crux what we've done is enabled anyone and everyone to showcase their love of a hamburger a cheeseburger a perfume and if someone else is inspired by that to go with one click back to the merchant of record that could be said for anything mm-hmm. you know wine uh, women's um lipstick um pet accessories yeah i mean you've created basic like you know that's so YouTube, right? It's YouTube. Anyone can go on YouTube and create videos, right? And tag them and start talking about things that they that they they like. Yeah. Uh, but you've created that with basically with fashion, right? Like, where yeah. I, I mean, I, I think we we owe a debt to two men that created this pathway that a lot of us are on now. And whether you like it or not, it's Jeff Bezos and Craig Newmark of Craigslist. We owe those men a debt it is it is uh, i just recently read this that if you think about every b2c consumer play that affects the last mile it was a category on craigslist every single thing it's a brilliant article if i find it i'll forward it to you and then if you think about what uh jeff and mckenzie started what 27 years ago when they left wall street it's disintermediation it's the ability to provide consumers with access to the system of record or the manufacturer of record directly and cutting out the people in the middle. Jeff started that with his little company called Amazon. So Jeff Bezos and Craig at Craigslist are owed a debt to nearly everything we do today. Mm-hmm. In my humble opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. I mean, so, you know, there's one question that I want to make sure that I, I ask you for sure. Now that we've we finally got to what Mespoke is, which sounds awesome. Um, well, if you could tell a few billion people for us, we'd we'd thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody listens to this podcast knows about it now. Lovely. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I ask a lot of people about. So we talked a lot about, um, you know, how we deal with the fears. I want to ask. I ask every leader about gratitude and I ask every leader about what I call the jumping off point. And so this is a moment in time 
and it can be described in two different ways. Moment in time where you just don't know what to do next, but you know you can't keep doing what you're doing, right? Where you have to make a change and it's this jumping off point where you just can't keep doing what you're doing. You don't know what to do next. Well, some other people have, have really, when they, when they thought about it, it usually points back to a moment in time where you're probably either consumed with fear or you look at the time you felt like it was a horrible experience, a negative thing that was happening, a bad experience. And now you look back and you're just grateful for the fact that that happened because you wouldn't be who you are and where you are and doing what you're doing if that didn't happen. But at the time, the perception you had was, why is this happening? I don't want this to be happening. And I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but like, right. do you think, like, can you think back at any point in time where you've had to deal with that thought and overcome that? Absolutely. I think if it weren't for a certain episode in my life to go from consulting to business, I perhaps would not be sitting here with you today. What was that? The, there was a, we were rolling off of a project. It was a very small company, a local company. And a lot of us, uh, several, several people were laid off. I was one of them got a little bit of a severance, but it, it, it enabled me to take a chance on something called sales and marketing versus billable sale, Mm -hmm. sorry, billable consulting. If that wouldn't have happened, I perhaps never would have had the courage to move to the business side. I would have just been a billable asset, you know, worked my way up 1099. Let's say I made, you know, several hundred dollars an hour, or let's say 200, 250. Great life here in Northern Virginia. But that one moment in time enabled me to have the courage that I otherwise would not have found on my own to step outside and say, if enough people are saying this, it's one person saying it's like, oh, they may just care for you or whatever it is. But if enough people are saying the same thing, I said, it's time for me to make a change and yeah. try this thing out. Yeah. So you took that. That wasn't your natural tendency, but no. you did it anyway. Do not like change. Yeah. And then over time, in habits. It's, it, my mind is different, but in habits. Yeah. But going back to, you know, you were building that skill set in sales by doing it more often. You were constantly putting yourself in a position to keep learning that same lesson or, you know, improve upon that lesson. Um, I'm finding some hope in this because we were talking earlier about like, I don't think everybody had, you know, I was like, well, I hope not because I'm doing yeah. all kinds of stuff to try yeah, to build yeah. that. I don't know. It, might, it sounds like it might have happened without, you know, without you recognizing that like, hey, like it was happening, right? Because without that, I'm sure getting laid off, it, were you married at this time too? No, no, no. This is years ago. But still, yeah. Yeah. you know, having a job and then coming in and not yeah. having a job anymore yeah. is definitely, uh, it'll, it'll generate some feelings in you. It'll humble you. Yeah. You know, and, and, but being able to overcome that work through that and take the next best step that ultimately led you to taking probably 20 or 30 other best steps that led you up to where you are now. Right. Probably more than that, but those big impactful ones. Absolutely. Yeah. You never know where that pivotal, you know, when you're doing, my son loves dominoes. When it, when there's a fork in a domino path, that one la, that one domino that, sets you on a different path yeah. it's just it's it can be magical but very very scary yeah what about gratitude do you are you so some people are different about this some people have a practice around gratitude and some people don't i'm a formal i make a list a gratitude list it could be my hands and fingers work my, my feet work you know i slept inside not outside today so I'm, I'm looking pretty good things are going well um like whatever you know start minimal and then there's other big things that i'm really grateful for too 
but that's me. Like maybe you don't like, do you, how's that work into your life? And it is a critical part of my life. It's a critical part of my DNA. I am grateful. Uh, if you had my son on, he would tell you, my father says, uh, uh, God have mercy. Yeah. Literally. My father said it. I say it. I say it every well, I heard one you hour before oh, you started. Heard you yeah. So I say, God have mercy in Hindi. It sounds a bit different or Urdu, but, um, I say it almost every half hour, hour. My son will tell you, Oh, um, what's it mean for you when you're saying it? Like, what'd you learn? So I just am grateful. I mean, I, I used to be very active on social for obvious reasons with me spoke, but now I've got a weekly post where I say, you know, dear God, I'm grateful. Nearly every Friday I'll put up a post and uh, say, I'm grateful gratitude, paying it forward. As you get to know me, perhaps you will realize I try to pay it forward. Are you ready? Yeah. Every single day of my life. Yeah. So you're a big action towards your gratitude kind of person. Percent. Yeah. A few of my close friends would tell you if someone does one thing for me, I will likely do 10 things for them in return. Yeah. Gratitude is very important. Gratitude and empathy. Very, very important. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today, man. I really Happy appreciate it. Happy to be it. here, Philip. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders on Instagram at DC Local Leaders or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.